Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to Tuesday's edition of the Football Social Daily. The international break continues at pace right the way across the next few days. And let's face it, if you're losing the will to live or you're Googling how the Solomon Islands can finally reach Qatar, I think that we can all safely agree that the Premier League cannot return soon enough. It's going to be a cracking end to the season. So please, let's just get the Premier League back in business this weekend. But for now, the international calendar does still reign free. And it's not just random friendlies tonight. As for Cristiano Ronaldo, Mo Salah and Sadio Mane, Tonight is the night as they battle for that all-important World Cup qualification. But before we get to that, England, they take centre stage in part one of today's show. Gareth Southgate has promised yet more changes. Gareth, I don't know how many more changes you've got. Unless you're playing yourself, I just don't know what you're going to change. But the Three Lions take on Ivory Coast tonight at Wembley and Southgate has promised a much-changed starting lineup so that's one to look forward to or not if you're not a big fan of international football then in part two we do look at something a bit more meaty and a bit more exciting and that's the playoff picture on what is a big big night right the way around the world Ronaldo has called on the whole of Portugal yes anybody in Portugal cancel your plans tonight because North Macedonia are in town and Ronaldo wants a sixth World Cup. And then to wrap it all up, we'll have some breaking transfer news. Barcelona have reportedly reached out to Leeds United star Rafinha and said, if Leeds go down, we want you this summer. So plenty to get through on today's show. And joining me on Tuesday duty, we have Marley Anderson. Marley, finished sifting through Chris Rock and Will Smith memes? <laughs> Never. Uh, Never. Going you can't get a enough. while now. Yeah, no. There's What's the best of, uh... one you've seen? Um. <laughs> oh, I don't know actually. Um, it's tough. I've it's got, like a buffet. I've got to say the one I posted on Sports Social this morning. You know, the international was very break good. being the slappy, and the Will Smith <laughs> being the slapper, and that's just normal, normal football fans. Because <laughs> I am well sick of this international break already. Jesus. 
Joel uh, Joel Tudor. We also have that was Joel, was Joel Tudor laughing along to Marley. Um, Chris Rock, Will Smith. Have you had enough, or are you just gorging yourself? I don't think you can ever have enough of that. Every new angle is like watching a knockout punch from Tyson, isn't it? You just can't get enough of which angle's better. But um, yeah, I think it'll live on for a long time. That one. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, right, someone who I think we can be pretty confident has never slapped anyone in their life is Gareth Southgate. I'd be absolutely shocked if I saw Gareth Southgate slap uh, slap someone. So. But, Marley, you might be in the mood for slapping him because uh, ahead of tonight's friendly against the Ivory Coast, he's promised yet more changes. Now, there was lots of rotation for Saturday's 2-1 friendly win over Switzerland. There was even some debuts thrown in. Mark Gway, Tyreek Mitchell, Kyle Walker-Peters, Conor Gallagher Gallagher getting his first start in midfield. And he said there's going to be even more changes for tonight's game. There's been a couple of injury pullouts. John Stones has gone back to Manchester City. And look and do some of the names... I, I was joking in the intro, but I'm also kind of serious. I don't really see who else he can rotate in because the assumption is he's not going to bring in the so-called stronger players, the A-team, for a friendly, albeit against a, a very good Ivory Coast side. Does this just add fuel to the fire of this international break and the friendlies that this is a weakened team that face Switzerland? It's arguably going to be either a weaker or a much-changed side that's going to take on Ivory Coast tonight. Is Southgate actually learning anything from this? And the players that are playing, are they actually learning anything, particularly if they're not going to feature in the Nations League or in the World Cup later this year? Yeah, I, th- I think you summed it up, to be honest. The, the, the whole break is is totally pointless from an England point of view. Um, Southgate, you know, you can use it to try out new players, but realistically, are those new players going to... Um, nail down a place in the summer. You know, Ollie Watkins can start both games up front if he wanted to, but he's not going to move Harry Kane, and he's not going to get ahead of Tammy Abraham if he carries on and stays fit um, and comes back into the squad later in the in the summer. Um, he's probably not going to get ahead of Calvert Lewin um, once he comes comes back to full fitness as well. So, yeah, the whole thing is just. Um, I mean, you can argue international friendlies are always the best, always a waste of time at the best of times, but. You know these ones are ridiculous with the um, with the um, the the tournament that we're preparing for off the back of this still eight months away. So you know it's um, it is pointless really. But you know England, uh, um, well Southgate will, will use it to try try players out. He'll still want to see who's you know who's got what and who plays in certain systems better. But you know even if they turn into worldy performance, you know it's it's Ivory Coast in a friendly where there's nothing on the line. It, you don't learn anything from any part of this, to be honest. The the more in, the only international interest in international football is happening in the uh, the the deciding qualifiers around the world, and England uh, were, were too good for that, and already have the place in Qatar. So, yeah, the whole thing's a bit of a, a, a bit bit pointless, really. Looking at the picture for the England squad going into this game, Joel, tonight, if you rewind to last summer with Euro 2020, England had a really solid, stable starting eleven. I was just looking at some of the numbers before we started recording. Seven, probably eight players started every game, right the way through the group stages, all the way to the final. There was only minor changes really made, and that was because Southgate wanted to adapt systems once or twice during the tournament. We're in a picture now where Qatar is about nine months away, there or thereabouts, and there is question marks over some really important areas of the team. Jordan Pickford, I think, there's not really any danger of him losing his position. But there is concern over his club form, potential that Everton could be relegated, that we could be a championship goalkeeper in between the sticks at the World Cup. 
And then going through the rest of the team, Harry Maguire, major issues at centre-back. Luke Shaw, who did get himself on the score sheet against Switzerland, publicly coming out during his time with the England camp and saying that he feels loved when he goes away with England and essentially saying that he doesn't when he's at Manchester United. Calvin Phillips has missed a big, big chunk of the season through injury. There's holes in this team. And instead of maybe looking to cover his back by trying new players or trying different systems, that could be a plan B for the World Cup if Phillips is still struggling with injury or Harry Maguire does go completely off a cliff. We're seeing players that are not going to play in the World Cup. And any sort of benefit that these friendlies could have, Southgate's wasting. Yeah, with the players that you mentioned, like Shaw, Maguire and Pickford, um, even though they've had pretty poor seasons for their respective clubs, every time that they play for England, they're typically some of the best players on the team because not long ago, Shaw and Maguire were in the team of the tournament for the Euros last year. And then this this year for United, they've been you know, two of probably our worst players this season. So... Southgate's clearly picking them based on the fact that he can trust them for the England squad because, I mean, I'm sure any goalkeeper will look better in the England side rather than that Everton side with that defence who just leak goals game after game. Um, but when you look at Pickford, I mean, you think back, he's not really put a foot wrong for England when he's ever played. And to be honest, he's, he's probably done... He's probably had one of the best goalkeeping performances, especially in the Euros. I mean... Um, all the way that run up to the final, even save Jorginho's penalty in the in the shootout. I mean, there's not more, not much more that he could have done in that tournament. So he's probably looking at that, thinking, "Well, I trust you to be in my team, regardless of the fact that he might be a championship goalkeeper." It's the fact that on the highest level, when it comes to tournaments, he just he seems to develop another level. Maybe it's just the fact that he's got better defense ahead of him and it's just a better setup. Same with Maguire, he's in a three-man defense, whereas at United, he's in a two-man and way more exposed. Um, so it just seems like in Southgate's situation, he's just got players who up their level and up their performance when they're in the national team. But then when they go back to their clubs, it's just like watching a different player again. So I do think that in the next World Cup, it's going to be a very new look side in some areas. I don't think Calvin Phillips will retain his place. I don't think he deserves it, considering the fact that, uh, you know, the likes of Bellingham's been playing regularly. Even Jacob Ramsey might even get a shout in there. You can't just pick players who've missed like a whole season and then they're going to just jump back into the side because then what does that say to the rest of the team who've been grinding away in the season, trying to get that call up or try and break into the side? Um, but, he clearly trusts his players and I know you mentioned as well that he likes to adapt his system and <clears throat> and adapt it like regarding you know the way the game's going or the opponent is and for me typically I would I would be saying I don't really like that kind of mentality you know where you have to change for the other team rather than just believing that you are the better team and playing the football you want to play but I mean you can't really argue against it, can you, considering the fact he's got to a semi-final of a World Cup and a final of the Euros in the space of four years. So clearly it works for him. Um, you know, compared to, you know, the likes of Spain and um, Brazil and all these teams who know their identity and they don't really need to change for a team. It's only like little tinkers here and there on the pitch. Um, so yeah, it obviously works for him, but I just it's just a shame that, you know, in this friendly in these friendly periods, so many players end up dropping out and it's gonna be such a rare occasion. I don't I, when's the next time they meet? I don't know when it is. It's like, all, like June, September. June, uh, for, June. The, for the Nations League. 
Right, yeah, this is what I mean. There's rare opportunities, and especially for the players. I'm not saying that they're dropping out on purpose, or maybe they are, I don't know, but um, some of them are not going to get many opportunities to play under Southgate before the World Cup now. So it's, it's an opportunity that they should be taking with both hands. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think we can all agree that these friendlies are just, especially when it's these fringe players who are going to get nowhere near the squad when it comes to November time, it's a bit of a... Yeah, it's a bit of a strange situation for Southgate having to pick players who are going to be nowhere near the side. Marley, would you agree, when we fast-forward ahead to the World Cup this winter, that these changes, these players that are featuring in these friendlies and potentially might get a bit of game time in the summer in the Nations League are not going to play? And there was this solidity, stability within the England team last summer. Would you agree with Joel that there is going to be big changes for the World Cup and the first starting eleven that kicks a ball out in Qatar won't really be that similar to the one that lost to Italy on, on penalties last summer. Yeah, I, I think, to be honest, I think um, Southgate pr- probably knows most of his starting eleven for the first game in Qatar. Um, I think he knows what his best team is. He's got his players who he trusts, who, that we've talked about. He he um, he doesn't sort of chop and change for... He doesn't really in, include club form in his thinking, does he? You know, he stays loyal to his players, he stays... You know, loyal to Pickford and Maguire, they'll well, Maguire will probably play tonight against Ivory Coast, so um, that'll probably do him a load of good if he if he has a decent game um, for the first time in quite a while. But um, yeah, he, I think if if Qatar just was tomorrow, you know, they would see the same team as Southgate thinks in his head. I think the big players have come back. You know, Trent Alexander Arnold, and um, if everyone was fit, he would know he would know his team. So. Um, tonight, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like we've been saying. It's it doesn't really matter who plays. It's more of a box ticking exercise. Of yeah, we we got the lads together. Um, well, we got we got some lads together who were available and fancied the job. Um, and then we uh, we played a couple of games and got them out of the way. And he'll come up with all the sound bites. Say like, yeah, it gave me something to think about. And so and so's performance was was exceptional when he came on and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But. I think that whoever gets in this squad now has to do a hell of a lot of work to get into the uh, the World Cup squad. You know, you look at Carl Walker Peters, for example. And he's got to get ahead of four other right backs to to even get in the squad. Um, and then you look at Fraser Forster, who was basically just the closest bloke to St James's uh, to St George's Park, who who had gloves and would travel. Um, and he he's ended up in the squad, and then. Yeah, it's um, it's a strange situation, but it's just uh, like I say, it's a box ticking exercise, and we'll we'll get over it, and we'll go and into you know, a competitive game in June where there'll be a, a proper warm up for um, the the World Cup in uh, the early stages of December. Before we wrap up, Joel, I'm just going to throw across to you a little story from within the England camp coming from the Daily Mirror this morning. Now, we were due to have Jim on to, to answer this question. And to be honest, it's probably a good idea that he's not because he might have exploded with excitement. The Daily Mirror is tipping Declan Rice to take over from Harry Kane. When the day comes and Harry Kane is England top goal scorer and maybe even record cap holder and he hangs up his boots for England, Rice has been named as the most likely successor. Gareth Southgate's a big fan of him. He's been one of the most used players under Gareth Southgate since he's come in. Looking at the squad here, I think he's fourth or fifth in terms of most caps as it stands. Harry Kane is 29, Harry Maguire is 29, Jordan Henderson is 31. The likelihood is that maybe another World Cup might be beyond all three of them, probably beyond Jordan Henderson. 
Declan Rice has stepped up as de facto captain for West Ham this season. Mark Noble has barely played. I think he's out of contract this summer. And if he stays at West Ham, he's, he's pr- more than likely going to be named as, as club captain by David Moyes. Would this be a sensible move? Do you think this is something that Declan Rice would thrive in? Do you think it's something that he could handle? Harry Kane, for me, he's bought a real assurance to the role of England captain. For a long time, it's been a bit of a hot potato. Players have struggled to deal with the pressure, the the off-field kind of responsibilities that come with it. It's almost like being a member of the royal family. Harry Kane has embraced all of that and has actually built on that and and turned it into a positive. Do you think Declan Rice could or, or would do the same? Yeah, I think he's a natural fit just in terms of his character and the way he is, especially at West Ham as well. He seems like a natural fit there as well. But I think with Harry Kane, he's going to be a similar scenario to how Rooney went out, which is that he's not exactly going to be... It's going to be a case where when his legs have given in, he will just eventually say, "Okay, I think I'm done rather than actually calling it quits at a certain point. Because I think with Kane, he's going to be banging in goals until he's like 35. Just seems like that kind of professional who really looks after himself and obviously he'll want to be breaking more records. And um, I definitely see him at the next World Cup. He'll be, what, only 33, which yeah, is still prime age for a striker. So, I mean, if Rice is to take it, he's going to have to wait quite a while. Uh, I think he's 23 at the moment I think by the time the next World Cup comes around he'll be um, 28 and then I mean he might not have a long time if he actually does end up getting the the captaincy but I do think that right now looking at the whole squad and looking at the way they are as like players and as as people on the pitch I think Rice is probably a natural fit isn't he and I'm sure that during that time in the next four years uh, Rice will probably end up getting that big move to one of the top four teams that's if West Ham stop demanding a flipping island type fee for him so it depends if he actually is allowed to leave but I think he's only got two years on his contract so that'll be interesting how it plays out but yeah I do think he's the natural fit Right uh, before we take a break call this for us Marley for the last time this season Give us your international score prediction. Uh, I'm going for a draw, uh, 2-2. Two, a 2-2 thriller at Wembley. A much-changed England side up against uh, Nicholas Pepe-inspired Ivory Coast. Uh, Joel, what are you going for? Um, I'll probably go for a one-all. A one-all, Ball draw. Okay. Yeah, I think I think your your uh, your demeanours and your reactions to this game sum it up. Gareth Southgate seems to be the only person that's positive about this one. England against Ivory Coast <laughs> at Wembley tonight, the final England game of the season. Looking ahead to those UEFA Nations League games this summer, and then the big one just before Christmas, the Qatar World Cup. Right, we are going to grab a break. After the break, we're talking about the business end of World Cup qualification. Forget about friendlies and just passing the ball around. This is the big time. There's only one space for the playoffs sides in action tonight which means it's either Sadio Mane or Mo Salah at Qatar Cristiano Ronaldo or somebody from North Macedonia I'm going to quickly google their team so I can come up with something clever to say after the break Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg this is The Deal each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Tuesday's edition of the Football Social Daily. We've put England to bed ahead of their friendly against the Ivory Coast tonight. So we're going to move on to the business of World Cup qualification. This is the final window of the normal calendar to secure a place at Qatar this winter. So by the end of play this week, 29 of the 32 teams competing at the World Cup will have been confirmed. But in the next 24 hours, it is make or break. So we're going to start with Ronaldo. Joel, going to throw this one over to you because Ronaldo has rallied the Portuguese troops. Brilliant interview with him yesterday, depending on which side of the fence you are, but absolutely box office stuff. He's called on the whole country to cancel their plans tonight. If you're popping out for dinner, if you're going around to see your mum because you forgot about Mother's Day, forget about it. North Macedonia are in town and Ronaldo wants you watching it. He said he wants the Estadio de Drago to unleash hell on the North Macedonians tonight. Now, this is this is big. This is big for Portugal and it's big for Ronaldo. Ronaldo wants a sixth World Cup appearance. Fernando Santos, the manager, has come out and said that if they lose to North Macedonia like Italy did, he will resign. And that's a massive statement. These are 2016 European champions with a huge amount of talent in their squad. But they're worried. North Macedonia turned Italy over. They played in the Euros this summer. They will be dangerous. The old cliche of they've got nothing to lose. And Ronaldo is clearly itching a little bit. He wants to match Messi. He wants a sixth World Cup. There's everything on the line tonight. Yeah, it's a massive game and Ronaldo knows it as well because it could be the last chance he goes to a World Cup considering he's 30... 37 now I mean the next one 41 it's going to be it's even, well to be fair I wouldn't be surprised if he makes it to that one as well but obviously he wants to still be at a good level where he can impact things but yeah I'm sure well, he said in his press conference that everyone was taken by surprise by Macedonia but we won't be um, so it seems as though I'm sure the analysts on their side have been doing the homework on them because Macedonia are no chumps at all. I mean, they even beat um, Germany in their group stage away from home in Germany. I mean, that's kind of unheard of usually. So they're not a team who everyone everyone on, on face value will look at uh, Macedonia against Portugal. It's a bit of a mismatch, isn't it? But I mean, they beat Italy in Italy as well, which is, again, something that's pretty much unheard of. They're not a team that you can just look over. So I would, I guess if they were playing Italy, it would give them a little bit of certainty of what they were getting. Like everyone knows Italy, everyone knows the players, everyone knows the manager and how they are as a team, how they play. Whereas Macedonia, there's a little bit of that, you know, that unnerving uh, mystery about them and like who really is the like wow how is it that they play and what is it that they're doing that's allowing them to get to this stage of the qualifiers so it's going to be a really interesting one but I think Ronaldo knows that especially because it's in Portugal as well this is it's such a it's such an advantage on their side to be able to play in the home country for it so I'm sure it's going to be a, a, a mad one in Porto that night but it's going to be one that Ronaldo knows might be his last opportunity and I think that's why 
there's so much emotion behind it because he knows that it's well it'll be his last chance to be in a world cup and his last chance to win a world cup not to say that i, I don't think portugal will be anywhere near it but i think i i, I want to see ronaldo in a world cup again so it's going to be a a tough uh, it's going to be a tough ask and if macedonia managed to beat portugal i mean everyone has to take their hats off to them to beat italy and portugal and and be in a group with germany and still make it i mean I'd put them as my favourites for the World Cup, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can safely say you can order their kit. The kit, I can't decide whether the kit looks a little bit dodgy or super cool. I, I, I can't make my mind up. I think if they get there, I might I might treat myself to, to getting one on eBay. But when we look at Ronaldo Marley, we talk about, a, if you're talking about a normal footballer that's not Cristiano Ronaldo, so single-minded, takes such incredible care of himself we'd be dismissing the chances of him playing at the next World Cup in, in the US, Canada and Mexico in, in 2026. He'll be 41 by that stage. And this subject of retirement came up in the press conference yesterday and he, he was on fire yesterday. He basically told the journalists, listen, you keep asking me this question. I'll decide when I retire. Nobody else. I feel fine when the day comes to make the call. I'll make the call. Nobody else. So he's he's firm in that and obviously he's gearing up for a massive game tonight. And he's he's previously hinted that he could play on till he's 42. But the big caveat to that is he said he as long as he's still physically okay, which you would assume that he is. But crucially, he said, as long as I'm still being challenged and I can challenge for major honours. Apologies, Joel. You could maybe read that as a bit of a jibe at United. End of season, again, for United, no trophies. Paul Pogba said last week that he's, quote, sad at Manchester United not winning a trophy. And obviously, he's potentially moving on, moving on this summer. Does this open up this idea that if Ronaldo wants to carry on for Portugal for the Euros in 2024 and potentially, let's not rule it out, 26 World Cup, every move that is made in the next 12, 18, two, 12, 18 months to two years will be based on getting Ronaldo to an international tournament? Ironically, almost like a souped up version of Gareth Bale. Yeah, I think I think to be fair, if if Ronaldo's still playing football, you've got to be a very brave manager not to take him um, with even at forty-one. Well, yeah, maybe maybe. I mean, for... Zlatan's forty, and if Sweden beat Poland <laughs> yeah. tonight, he'll go to the World Cup, and I'm not sure if he'll turn forty-one by then, but he'll be yeah. forty at least. Um, maybe you know, stranger things have happened. The only, well, to be fair, I don't. We might we might be not meant to talk about it but uh, Ronaldo might not even go to the World Cup anyway in 20 um in 2026 because it's in the USA and he has he can't get into the USA because of his background so um he's physically not allowed to enter the USA so he might not be there even if he is still playing um but that doesn't rule out the you know obviously this summer and, and then the Euros in in 2024 um, I think he'll probably be at, be at both of them I'd, I'd say he, he seems to have a few um, years left in him whether they're at Man United or not I'm not sure I think he'll go back to Portugal after Man United and probably go back to Sporting for two maybe three years um, and try and finish out his, his career where it all started sort of thing um, but yeah I mean in, in terms of his, his impact it's still there isn't it you know you're still looking at you know, if you're going to put a bet on tonight of who's going to score first, you'd probably go Cristiano Ronaldo first goal scorer against North Macedonia. Of course, you would. Um, you know, Italy dominated the game against Macedonia. They had, they had, you know, seventy odd percent possession. They should have won the game easily, but Macedonia did what they do and and dug in and defended and and hit on the counter attack in the in the ninety second minute and fantastic goal by 
um, Tchaikovsky, I think he's called, but he, um, you know, they, they sort of had the game plan of soak it up, but to soak it up against Italy is one thing when they've got, you know, Bellotti leading the line. And then, you know, you, you turn up and, and Portugal have got João Felix, Ronaldo, Jota. Um, you know, they've got wingers coming out of their ears as well. Um, Bernardo Silva. Um, Pizzi, I think, is still there. Rafa Silva, both at, both at um, Benfica, is still quality. So there's plenty of, of plenty more weapons in the Portugal squad to break down a, a stubborn defence, I think. And I think if everything goes to plan, Portugal should have a, a fairly easy night tonight, to be honest. I can't see the uh, the Macedonian shirts flying around um, in in the summer. <laughs> or, well, in... in in December, I don't think you might have to. They won't be flying around in December. No, you'll have to. You'll be freezing. Yeah, you might have to uh, put it on hold, mate. If you're, uh, you might, might be better off with an island top, mate. But uh, then again, there's more chance of uh, Macedonia getting to a World Cup than Ireland anytime soon, isn't there? So, <laughs> so maybe, uh, maybe ask for. That is that is a terrifying look into the future. It really is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, Portugal should have it fairly easy tonight as long as they do the basics right. Um, and take the chances. I think you're asking a lot for Macedonia to to run that gauntlet and and you know everything to fall into place perfectly twice in the space of a week for them. So yeah, I'm, I'm still predicting Cristiano Ronaldo is going to be in Qatar in the uh, in the winter. Could be famous last words. Italy would have said the same last week, but we're going to get a prediction off you in just a second. The other big game going on tonight, Joel, is in Africa. Now, the qualification picture as it stands, the majority of places have been decided. CONCAF, CONINBOL are pretty much wrapped up. UEFA, we know there's a couple of playoff places going tonight. But in Africa, it's, it's all or nothing tonight. And the big one is Senegal against Egypt. Rerun of the AFCON final from earlier this year where Sadio Mane edged out Mo Salah. And they both went back to Liverpool and pretty much just didn't talk about it. And there's been rumours floating around that Sadio Mane deliberately asked Jurgen Klopp and, and people involved with Liverpool not to make a big deal over AFCON because Salah is so personally involved and the fact that they're pushing for, for major honours for Liverpool. He wants to put that to one side and just concentrate on the day job. But the way that the, the kind of penny has dropped, they are facing off again. Egypt are leading 1-0 from the first leg. But in Senegal, defending African champions, and Senegal are a really, really good team. They're going into this as favourites, but can Salah get his revenge? No, I don't think so. I think Senegal have just got way too many weapons in their team to hurt them. When you look at like even the defence, you've got like Koulibaly, who's a very experienced veteran at Napoli, and then you've got Mendy, who's one of the best goalkeepers in the world. And then even the strike force, Mane's at his absolute peak. And we saw that in the in the African Cup of Nations final as well. It just seemed like Egypt were just so toothless without um, basically Salah getting on the ball. It's almost like, you know, one of those nations where they always rely on that one talisman. I think the other one would probably be like when the when Shevchenko was um, with Ukraine, he was like the guy that everyone would just pass to and just hope that they could get through to the next stages. But I just think that even when you look at Egypt in the last World Cup in 2018, they didn't win a game in their group. They lost all three. Um, granted, it was a pretty difficult group of Uruguay and Russia, but... I just don't. I think Senegal would be a much difficult proposition for majority of the teams at the World Cup um, compared to Egypt. But of course, I think both of them will be looking at this game and this opportunity is the only 
um, opportunity for them both to play in a World Cup while they're at the absolute prime again. Um, and I, I just think Senegal have got just way too much for them. And in the final, I think it should have been done and dusted uh, from Senegal way before that uh, penalty shootout. But yeah, who knows? I mean, they've got a one 0 league going into it. There's all to play for, but I just think Senegal, because overall, man for man, they've got way too much for them. Um, so I definitely bank on them winning tonight. All the kind of concerns surrounding Mane and Salah being away at Afcon Mali was based on this idea that they were going to be tired and that Liverpool would struggle and suffer while they're away. And if anything, Liverpool turned on the burners while they're away and they've come back and they're actually better than ever, banging in goals, linking up, and, and Liverpool are powering on. But Salah has shook off that disappointment of losing in the final, losing on penalties, and Mane likewise has been able to kind of bottle that energy and that excitement of of winning a first African title for Senegal. If Jurgen Klopp is sitting down and watching this game tonight, it's probably like picking between two of your children. Who's your favourite son between Mane and Salah? But looking ahead towards the end of the season, he's a very pragmatic coach. Salah... If he loses again, this is two big international blows in the space of a couple of months. Who is Jurgen Klopp pushing for here? Because he wants them both to come back and just continue the way that they did after AFCON. But you maybe would have to ask the question, if Salah comes back, as incredible as he's been this season, two big slaps off Senegal is going to make an impact on him. Yeah, I think it's a decent point, to be fair, because... Only one team can can go. Um, it'd be as you said. It's either Salah or Mane. I think the the way the African um, qualification works is 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 extremely harsh. Um, I think the the ten group winners play off against each other to to knock each other out, and that this is why you see things like this: Egypt against Senegal. You've got Cameroon versus Algeria, and I think they were. Um, were they? I think they both got to the semi-finals of the Afcon, didn't they? Um, you've got Ghana against Nigeria, so right there you've got the six, probably the six best African teams out there, and only three of them are going to be there. Um, so this is this is happening all through the Afcon African um, qualification process. So yeah, I mean you look at you look at Klopp thinking, you know, I don't want Salah to get you know to to get turned over again because. It might. I don't think it will affect him because he's a professional and he's one of the best players in the world. So, um, but it might just affect his mentality slightly, and and it might just put him on a on a downer. And and it, especially when he comes back to Liverpool and and he goes, do you know what? Man? They're still not. They're still messing around with his contract. They're still. I'm willing to sign it. Um, you know, and they're not putting it in front of me. And then. Do you, do you know, it's just just when you get one bit of bad news and you come back and everything's not perfect at Liverpool, you might start thinking about that. You, you never know. You never know what his, what his mentality is going to be like. Um, so I'm thinking, f- from Klopp's point of view, he would rather Egypt um, hang on to the 1-0 win, uh, 1-0 lead from the first leg, sorry, and um, and take the hit of, of Mane not being at the at the World Cup in, the, uh, in Qatar in December because... You've you've got more replacements for for Mane than you do for Salah. Um, Jota plays on the left or can play on the left, and so does Luis Diaz. Whereas none of them play as well on the right, and none of them are as good as Salah. But you can make the case for Diaz and Jota being as good, or possibly even better than Sadio Mane. So, from a from a selfish Jurgen Klopp point of view, you would probably say um, 
I hope Egypt get to the get to the World Cup and, and Salah comes back all happy with a spring in his step ready to annihilate whoever they've got at the weekend and uh, and kick on and sort of lead them towards a, a title charge in the Champions League and whatever may come this season. So, But yeah, it's, I mean, it's an interesting game. It would probably be hell of a lot better to watch than England versus Ivory Coast. But, um, you know, I mean, even... Even the fact that England are playing Ivory Coast, we're only playing Ivory Coast because they didn't they didn't qualify for their for their um, for the knockout stage for these playoffs these African playoffs they came they came second in the group behind Cameroon, so <laughs> they just got the door slammed shut in the face. And you look at Ivory Coast and you think they've got some quality players, and then you you're probably going to see like New Zealand and and Panama at the World Cup again. You're thinking could could there not be like a court across sort of globe like mini tournament to or a mini league to, to sort of sort it out and, and get the best teams there but well there's the there's the inter intercontinental playoffs this summer that are going to be does that include I Africa, think it's though? the fifth best in Asia no 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 it's, I think it's the yeah. fifth place in Asia will take on probably New Zealand and then I think it's fifth place in Conanball Latin America against fourth in North America I think yeah. I'd have to double check that but that that does kind of come into play when, when you get a situation yeah. like this so um, Joel's going for Senegal and Portugal Mali who are you going um, for? I'm going f- yeah I'm going the same I think Senegal will even though they're 1-0 down I think I agree with, with Joel I think they are the better the better team as a whole they've got way more options to, to hurt uh, Egypt than Egypt do to have hurt to hurt Senegal and even Egypt's goal in the first leg was an was an own goal, um, so unless Salah turns up and does a madness, I can see uh, Senegal getting at least one goal, forcing it to extra time and and uh, more than likely scoring before that before it gets that far. So I'd say Senegal and, and Portugal as well. Yeah, I'm going three for three. Sorry, Salah. I'm going Senegal and Portugal to go through to the World Cup. But it's going to be a massive, massive game, of inter- a massive night even of international football. Forget about the friendlies. Don't even watch England. Focus on this because it's going to be some big, big games and big calls to be made. Right. We're going to grab a break. After the break, we're putting international football to one side and we're focusing on transfers. Rafinha has been linked with Barcelona. We're going to be looking into that, seeing if there's any actual substance behind that and asking the question... Of the teams that are going down, who is the most ripe for the picking? Who will be conducting a fire sale this summer? We'll be back in just a sec. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Tuesday's edition of the Football Social Daily. As always, here on the Football Social Daily, we are your daily dose of all things Premier League. If you hit subscribe on this episode, you can get access to a brand new show every single day between now and the end of the campaign. We are with you every step of the way. So don't forget to hit subscribe and you can get a quick peek at that new show as soon as it is ready. Right, we're moving on to transfers. International football has been put to one side. So... Mali, big story coming in from Spain this morning from Diario Sports that Barcelona have been in touch with Rafinha's agent, who conveniently is Deco, and said that they want to bring him to Catalonia this summer, but only if they can get him on the cheap if Leeds are relegated. Now, if this story is true, it is a bit cheeky from Barcelona, particularly because we're meant to believe that they don't have any money, that they're having to borrow money constantly, and they're looking to throw 30, 40 million to bring Rafinha to the club. So we're probably going to see these kind of slightly underhand backdoor moves being made between now and the end of the season, and definitely over the summer as we build towards next season. So Rafinha's been really important for Leeds this season. He's probably been their brightest spark in a team that's found themselves battling against relegation when they didn't really expect to be. Is he someone... It's kind of difficult to gauge exactly what Xavi is doing at Barcelona because on the one hand, he's got this fantastic crop of young players and then he's also buying random players like Aubameyang and Adama Traore and keeping Memphis to pie. Do you think someone like Rafinha getting thrown into that mix would be a good move for him? Um, It... <laughs> It depends on Xavi's plan. Um, they, uh, for me, looking at the looking at them from the outside right now, they've got enough attackers to go and uh, and be really competitive next season and challenge for a title. Because you know they've got uh, Ferran Torres, Aubameyang, um, and uh, Adama Traore has been been firing in a few assists as well. I think he's got more assists this season than he has in his past two years at at, uh, at Wolves, for example. Um, they've also got Usman Dembele and Depay still knocking around. You'd assume both of them would leave this summer. So if that does happen, they, they probably do need um, reinforcements. And Rafinha's been, I mean, he's been poor by his standards this season, but he's, the, the form he showed last season and the quality he showed last season um, is more than enough to, to get him a, a, a big move to a new era of Barcelona, which would be an amazing move for him. Um, I think there's... They're talking to him, um, I think they're talking to him now and then, according to the reports anyway, they're talking to him now and then in the summer. Um, if Leeds go down, it's £25 million, and if they stay up, it's £75 million. So they're staying, um, they're, they're sort of biding the time over that and, and seeing what happens and see what Leeds' fate is before making that move, which is obviously understandable when, you, when you've been so poor financially um, and making such bad financial decisions over the past five years that uh, that they need to start looking after the pennies a bit more going forward because someone somewhere's bailed them out. I'm not sure what the situation is at Barcelona, but they seem to have money again. Um, someone's given a cash injection from somewhere. Um, and yeah, they're, they're, they're sort of back ready to build again for next season. And I think Rafinha's got serious eyes on, on being um, Brazil's starting... Uh, starting right winger in in the summer, um, sorry, in the winter in Qatar, um, and all the rest of it. So you know, there's there's plenty of uh, plenty of you know, enough of a carrot there to dangle in front of him to say, you know, if if you if you're playing for Barcelona as a Brazilian winger, you're probably going to be in that starting position. 
um, in the Brazil national team this winter. The picture down the bottom is obviously still going to be resolved in the next few weeks to come, Joel. So we've looked at <clears throat> the bottom five. I've already pre-warned Marley that we're saying that Newcastle are safe. I know he doesn't want to say it, so I'll be the one to say it, that we think Newcastle are going to be OK. Of those teams that are down there, they're all in danger of getting relegated and they're all in danger of getting absolutely picked apart. Rafinha at Leeds is just one of the names that could potentially go. Patrick Bamford, despite his injuries, if Leeds go down, he could be looked at. Calvin Phillips, likewise, he has had his injuries, but he's a fantastic player. And I've just picked some names from some of the other teams that are down there. Norwich, you've got Milot Rashika, Watford, Emmanuel Dennis has got a few goals this season. Ismail Assar, when they got relegated the first time, there was talk of Liverpool, there was talk of United, that could maybe get reignited. But you've also got Burnley and you've got Everton. And in those two squads, you've got stacks of Premier League experience. Everton, you've got Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, Michael Keane, Jordan Pickford, potentially. And then Burnley... You've also got a contract situation. Nick Pope, Ben Mee, James Tarkowski, Dwight McNeil, Maxwell Corne, Valt Beghorst. But me, Tarkowski, and a couple of others, I'm just going to have to quickly double-check, uh, Jay Rodriguez and Jack Cork, they're all actually out of contract. So that weakens Sean Dyche and Burnley's hand even more this summer. If they go down, that core of their team that's been there for five, six, seven years is going to dissolve and they could be in big trouble. And if you're a team that's just got promoted or even a Newcastle or someone looking to build from the bottom half into the top half, there's a huge amount of Premier League experience that you could probably get on the cheap. If I'm honest, I think Burnley's team will probably be the one that stays together um, just because he's been a pretty similar side for a number of years now. And I think if Sean Dyche was to stay, I don't think that their team would get picked apart too much, um, apart from like the obvious ones like Tarkovsky, which will probably get bought out pretty quickly. But I think when you look at all of the teams like Everton you know they're the standout team that obviously will get absolutely dismantled that's not that's not because of I don't think the quality but I just think the fact that they're on absolutely ridiculous salaries and they got bought for crazy fees um, and did not just uh, well didn't sign up to be playing in the championship half of them I think when they first were signed it would have been to try and get into the European places so I think there'll be a massive uh, exodus there but in my opinion I think if you look at it like for like in terms of just individual quality I think Leeds are probably the, the ones I would say just because of the fact that Rafinha you know being linked to Barcelona I don't think any other team any other player in the in the bottom four or five places would get anywhere near that Barcelona team and then you look at Calvin Phillips as well uh, when he was on form especially at the Euros prior to his injury he was getting linked with you know United and Liverpool and all the and Arsenal and all these different sides so I think they're the two main players which kind of trump the rest of them but I also wouldn't overlook uh, Watford's two kind of talismans like Emmanuel, Den Emmanuel Dennis who's got what nine or ten goals in the Premier League this season will definitely get picked picked up by you know mid-table side and hopefully he can replicate it and obviously it's Mila Saab but um, I think Everton are the clear ones who would go into complete self-destruct mode in terms of I'm, I'm sure they'll be stupid amount of clauses of relegation clauses and bonuses and contracts that they just can't afford to keep in the championship so yeah I think if, if any club's gonna have the most hard time in the championship if they were to go down is Everton by an absolute mile Marley as a Newcastle fan looking at this 
who are you kind of like a fox licking your lips about? Are you thinking solid building blocks experience of the Burnley lads or maybe cut price moves for the likes of Rafinha or Ismail Assar? It's an interesting one because Eddie Howe has been really, really sensible and really logical with the players that he brought in so far. This summer is going to be the first temptation to really throw some money around. But that also brings with it the potential of getting ripped off. Yeah, it does. Um, I think they've, there's been reports already that we're not going to spend that much this summer. Talks of like 50 million before, you know, 50 million sort of net. Um, and then, you know... Pocket change, yeah, nothing. chuck a few pennies around and, and see what happens. Um, but yeah, I think with that's before like player sales, if anybody does leave and stuff like that. So um, if you're looking at sort of scavenging whoever goes down, I'm maybe looking at. I think we need another winger, so maybe look at like Maxwell Corne, who's who's done really well at uh, at Burnley. Um, you know, we've got the French connection with with Saint Maximin. If you had one of them on either wing, I think you could you could really cause some teams problems if you played him on the the right side of of our front three, um, where the the hole probably is at the minute. Um, you, you, I wouldn't wouldn't mind seeing that as well, and it could be a cut price move because I think Burnley only signed him for. What was it like fifteen million quid? So they're not going to charge too much more than that, and they're a pretty well-run club, Burnley. They don't they don't need to sell for massive fees to keep them afloat, sort of thing. So if they did go down, um, you'd look at him, and then you'd let someone else have Tarkowski and and Nick Pope, and you know that's that's probably it. Maybe maybe Veghorst would would stay somewhere. Um, but yeah, I'm, of everyone, I think without playing, without going into real life. Uh, I'm a FIFA manager or a football manager. Um, I'm probably looking at, at, at Corne and saying I'd take him. Obviously, you'd have Rafinha and Phillips, but they're probably going to have bigger clubs around them. Um, so you, you're probably looking at that and saying, if you're being realistic, I'd take Corne from, from Burnley. Um, and I'd probably take Godfrey from Everton as well um, and go from there. It's going to be an interesting summer for Newcastle. I think Eddie Howe's going to be like a kid in a sweet shop, but... He's got to be careful that he doesn't uh, fill up on crap players. I think I think that's the big advice for uh, for Eddie Howe going into this summer. What I would say on the players that we've mentioned, football can officially just throw itself in the bin. If Calvin Phillips goes to Manchester United, I'm done. Like Alan Smith, do, Alan Smith doing it tore the Leeds fans to bits. If Calvin Phillips does it, I think I think football is absolutely finished. As brilliant player as he is, and I think he'd benefit Manchester United. That that that'd be a big big hole in in the Premier League for me if that was to happen. Right, we're going to call it a day for Tuesday's edition of the Football Social Daily. As always, Marley, Joel, thanks so much for your time. Cheers, guys. Thank you, mate. Great stuff indeed. The guys will be back tomorrow reviewing what might be a thriller between England and Ivory Coast, but let's be honest, it probably won't be. They're also going to be looking at the playoff picture and who is at the World Cup. Will it be Salah? Will it be Mane? Will it be Ronaldo? Will it be Traskovsky? Yes, I managed to get it right. It's all going to be decided tonight and uh, the guys will be back on duty to review it all and build up to that all-important Premier League return this weekend. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you again very, very soon. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.